You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Those listeners familiar with the work of Renee Magritte probably assume I would devote the second segment of this episode to discuss his famous work, Son of Man, from 1964. After all, it seems only fitting that I would talk about the famous image of a man in a bowler hat with an apple in front of his face. It was the work that inspired my podcast graphic. Of course, things that seem logical and fitting aren't exactly appropriate for discussion of René Magritte, who made his name by subverting people's expectations. Magritte said he took care to only paint pictures that evoke the mysteries of the world. That is, of course, when he wasn't painting forgeries of other people's work and forging banknotes to survive during the war. So rather than going with the predictable piece... For this episode, we took a closer look at the false mirror from 1929. I feel like who Art Ed? Who Art Ed? Mr. Wood, Art Ed, me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and join me today once again. Thank you for coming back, Emily Fiedler. I'm happy to be here. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Renee Magritte. And I know you said he's one of your absolute favorite artists. You know everything I'm going to say. So um, (laughs) I should just let you take over the whole episode. Uh, No, I think this is going to be a team player (laughs) deal. But Magritte is awesome. Surrealism. Magritte is awesome. Surrealism and all that. (laughs) Um, And he was born in Belgium, November 21st. 1898. His father was sort of, from what I've read, a moderately successful business person, like in the manufacturing industry. And I say moderately successful because from what I gather, like sometimes his family was doing like really, really well. But then I don't know if they like mass produced a lot of the wrong product. I imagine like, I imagine like market research was probably not the best because like I've read that Sometimes they were fi- they were dealing with like financial calamities, and it was like always around the corner, and they had to move around a lot. Yeah, probably um, just making it to that point and not yeah. much further. Yeah, so it sounds like you know he, at some points he had relative prosperity and stability, but or relative comfort financially, but not stability always mm-hmm. in his life, um, which I think is like just foreshadowing a little bit when I think of surrealism I think of lack of stability as just like the underpinnings of the entire movement well and this might even be going ahead but his use of clouds within his artwork as a reoccurring motif yeah like 
it is un- not supportive, but it is calm. It is relaxed. It is kind of oh. calm and relaxed. And I, I like that he was calm and relaxed when you consider the context of history. Like, he was born in 1898. And, you know, 1912, early 20th century, you know, a little bit of the run-up to, like, World War One. So some things happening in Europe. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> And in his personal life, too. Like, I can't make a joke about this because it is absolutely tragic. Yeah. His mother died um, when he was just 13 years old. Um, she died by suicide. And from what I gather, accounts differ, but they say supposedly, like, he saw her pulled out of the river and fabric covering her face, which was, if you're familiar with Ren- Renee Magritte's work, there are a number of paintings that have fabric obscuring and covering people's faces. And historians do say that traumatic incident in his life probably was worked through in the artwork that he was making throughout his work. Absolutely. Yeah. And so after that time, he did seem to process his grief by diving into the arts and not just painting and the visual arts. He was also reading novels. He was enjoying movies, which thankfully I finally come across something that doesn't make me feel so old when I'm talking to my students because (laughs) movies were like a new thing for him. Very exciting for them. Yes. (laughs) Like, you know, he would go to the talkies and all that. Oh my gosh. Movies are still exciting today. Movies are still exciting today, but it, it is funny today to think that was new technology for mm-hmm. for the day, for the early 20th century, you know, moving pictures and things like that. Like, this is the Chaplin era. Mm-hmm. Moana um, would blow Magritte's mind, though, today. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, he was enjoying the arts early on. I guess he was in the impressionistic style, which, again, makes sense, the historical context, like, early 20th century that was Monet and everyone at at the height of their popularity. Although they've really maintained a lot of popularity even after. People always like little dots of colors and happy haystacks and other stuff like that. Happy haystacks. I haven't heard that one. (laughs) Bob Ross slash Monet question mark. (laughs) (laughs) You don't find them happy? Um, no. Some of them, the ones that are done in winter, the colors are so dull. I guess I I have the Bob Ross connection to like happy happy little fields and stuff because it is so like soporific to me. It is so like sleep inducing as I'm looking at like Claude Monet's I can see little that. landscapes and stuff like that. Although for the time it was like revolutionary. Oh, you know, yes. And also, like, similar back to the movie point, like, haystacks, revolutionary. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but just, like, to circle back, like, Kandinsky, like, it was a life-altering thing for Kandinsky to see Claude Monet's haystacks. Mm -hmm. And he thought, like, how dare he paint things in such a manner? (laughs) Um, Totally revolutionized the arts for a lot of people only takes one painting. It only takes one. And for Renee Magritte, the one painting was a surrealist work by, um, Oh, I forget his name. It was like Chiquir, Chiri, uh, Giorgio did Chiri, Chiricchio, Chirico. 
you know? Either sounds great. I can, I can never <laughs> pronounce a name, you know, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we yeah. We still love you. Yeah, early on, early on, Magritte was painting in that, that sort of impressionistic style, and it was seeing one painting, um, specifically the painting was The Song of Love by Giorgio de Chirico. Giorgio. Yeah. By that dude. He was a surrealist painter, <laughs> and it was sort of eye-opening. Before that, Magritte was doing a lot of stuff. Like, he studied at Beaux-Arts in Brussels, and he did some sort of commercial work. Like, he worked designing um, designing wallpapers and stuff like that. And then he was working in freelance, um, freelance advertisements, like making posters and stuff like that. But he was always painting as well. He always had that sort of foot in the fine art world. And when he took to surrealism, it was very quick that he adapted the, the signature sort of wit and ironic juxtapositions, putting these different things together in odd combinations that we kind of associate with his most famous work. But he wasn't like immediately popular. He was popular in sort of surrealist circles, but his first one man show, which happened in like 1927, was poorly received. Like even famous artists not always loved from the start. And yeah. And I can understand that knowing what other, how far other surrealist artists were pushing the envelope at that time. Um, Renee Magritte is a little bit more um, relatable, which is why I admire him in the objects he chooses to juxtapose together. Yeah. Um, and I feel like both of us are throwing out that art term juxtaposing or juxtaposition, and we should identify that's placing things side by side is juxtaposition. Um, but yeah, it definitely has this more relatable and much more refined quality. Yes, extremely refined. Like I was surprised when you were going through his bio about the impressionist start, um, just because of how neat and defined his yeah. paintings are. Yeah, he he definitely and and or his surrealist paintings at least. Yeah, and there's I feel like much more emphasis on like line and cleanliness and like the, the modeling of stuff and like the value. Those, yes. That those subtle shifts um, of the values, but he was doing stuff. Like I said, getting more conceptual at that time. And after that poorly received one man show, he left Brussels, moved to France and he's just like surrounded by a who's who of the surrealist movement. Like he was with, you know, Max Ernst, Salvador Dali, Juan Miro, um, you know, all of like basically it, it just seems like everybody in history was hanging out all the time. In and Paris. they didn't invite us. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know why they didn't travel forward in time, I, invite us to come back and hang out. Welcome but in our classrooms anytime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll dig them up and drag them through my classroom. Salvador Dali with his anteater. Come on down. <laughs> His mustache is still is still kicking, from what I understand. Oh, yeah. When he was exhumed in like 2017, his mustache was still <laughs> intact. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Back to less repugnant things. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. 
At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Magritte, um, he, he rose in stature in, in this period while he was in Paris, surrounded by all of those big name artists who were not as big names back then. You know, I mean, the art world, like anything else, people who have similar interests and passions kind of find each other and work off each other and push each other to greatness. Like, I don't think it's that these brilliant people just happened to be hanging out in all seriousness. They found their people and they worked together and they pushed each other to become great people. Well, and something that I do know about the surrealist artists is they created the set of games like Exquisite Corpses, which are just wonderful for uh, cultivating creativity and unique um, outcomes with art. Yeah, and and again, it's that collaboration mm-hmm. we see a lot in there, and, and it helps them push their boundaries and what they're doing. You can't help but wonder where their careers would be without each other. Probably not, probably not so great, because yeah. some of them, like, without someone else to normalize some of those behaviors... So true. It just seems bonkers. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? In the best way possible, but yes. In the best way possible, but like, you know, some of the things they did, if you don't have it as a context of like, why is there a train coming out of a fireplace in the living room? And the tracks are not continuing. You know, like it's just, it's just floating in, in space. Like what is going on here? If you don't have that framing of like, oh, we're getting at those subconscious connections between these things and like, and you don't see other work that's in that series in isolation, those things just seem hard to, hard to wrap your head around Mm -hmm. and hard to appreciate. Um, but you know, they did find each other. They did work together. They did support each other. And in that period, he was becoming increasingly successful. He had better received shows, you know, in in France as well as London, New York. So, like, all of the major centers for Western art, mm-hmm. um, he was gaining critical acclaim. And then World War II, which... Not a great time for a lot of people. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, And it also, like, it affected artists as well. I mean, Max Ernst, we mentioned, Max Ernst fled Europe, literally Mm -hmm. hiding inside of a crate. Um, I think Peggy Guggenheim smuggled him out, brought him to the States. 
And René Magritte stuck around in Belgium while it was occupied by the Nazis. So he was... I can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine either. And he was seeing some stuff. And when we think about his lifetime, he dealt with a lot of personal tragedy and was surrounded by other people's personal tragedies. And this is a point where he had a little bit of a break from the surrealists. And basically the disagreement came down to, he said he wanted to focus on more optimism. Like the world around him was not in great shape and he wanted to use his art to highlight sort of hope and optimism and look for joy. Interesting with his doves. Yeah. Um, But then a lot of the surrealists... Um, you know, including like Brenton, the, the founder of the surrealist movement, they, they just said like, no, the reality of the world is chaotic and to be denying that is to deny, you know, the tragedy of the impact and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I, I, I can understand both sides of that disagreement and that philosophy, but that's kind of the shift that he took that was not in line with a lot of the other surrealists at that moment. Um, we got nothing to add to that. It's just like awful on top of awful. Yeah, but <laughs> gra- glad that he had the confidence to find, built up the confidence in his art to make his own message. Yeah, which is always important. Yeah, and in that, like, he kind of returned almost to a little bit of a brighter palette, and then of course he returned back to his more sort of surrealist roots with the the imagery that we. Are so, yeah, with, that with we Magritte. so much associate with Magritte. Um, Son of Man was, um, that's the, the famous, like, the, the with bowler the cap with the apple floating from. That was, like, 1960s. Um, and the other stuff, like, uh, Treachery of Images and stuff was mm-hmm. in, like, 1930s, the run-up to World War II. So it, there's this, like, brief hiatus in his... Yeah. In his. But even the color palettes between the two, like the vibrancy of the apple and the brightness of the red tie are significantly different from his earlier work. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um, and so now I, I do want to shift focus to one of his earlier works, a specific work, The False Mirror. And this is a piece he first painted in 1928. And I say first painted it because... He knew where his bread was buttered. He made more than one <laughs> copy of this. Smart like, guy. <laughs> you know, you, you, when you've got a hit, you know. Keep going. Keep going with it. Um, this is the famous image. Well, I, I should let you go first because I've been bullying the conversation enough. Um, I always want to let the guests go first. What are you seeing in here? Um, I see shadows around the eye. Um, clouds within the iris part of the eye. Um, the black pupil is very tiny. It is almost like cartoon-like in how it's drawn. Um, there is a small white reflection on the left-hand side. Um, but I wonder where this person is looking when I see this because of the shadows associated around the eye. Are they in a dark room? Are they outside at night? Um, it doesn't give me the feelings of positivity based on what I'm seeing around the skin. But then when I look in the eye, I'm seeing that almost relaxation that I mentioned before with the clouds. 
So that's what I get from this. I like this piece just because I love to see where our third graders go with it when they do the uh, eye drawing inspired by this to and, interject their personalities. Yeah. And see, I find, I find that interesting. See, like I'm looking at this and the pupil seems so small to yes, me. Yes, in the proportion of it, it looks super tiny. But if it was larger, it would abstract the clouds even more. Yeah, and the the clouds do, the clouds do have this serene feel to them, like there is a there is a calm aspect to that to it me. It looks like it's midday, like the perfect sixty eight degrees, yeah. light breeze and sunny. But then at the same time, like that eye is wide. Mm-hmm. Right. It feels very open because of how large the the circle for the iris is. And when you said like, it, where is it looking? Honestly, I feel like it's looking at me and I'm oh. very much creeped out by it. Like I feel it. I feel like it's one of those ironic things that he does where it's like I'm looking at a painting. The painting is looking at me. Well, and then when we bring in the title, The False Mirror, that's when my brain kind of combusts itself. And I'm like, (laughs) I can't handle anymore. But like, False Mirror, you're not truly looking at this. So are the clouds a reflection? Are you not seeing this prosperous, calm environment? Yeah. and, And then I also feel like, you know, there's that somewhat cartoonish association when I think of as as you you have mentioned cartoony imagery and stuff like I start to think of like cartoon images where someone like looks inside someone's ear and it's like you see through to yes. the other side and I'm looking at this and it's like I think of like that traditional idea of like the eyes are the windows, the, the, the the windows. yes and then I see like well, this is a window I'm looking through. I'm looking into this person's eyes, and there's just nothing behind them. It's just clouds and daylight. But I don't think clouds are nothing at the same point. Clouds are not nothing, but but what do we expect to be behind somebody's eyes? Some gray matter. We expect them to have a brain more. behind yes, them. Significantly more. Yes, this you know? is true. This um, is true. If I, if I see daylight through someone's <laughs> eye sockets, um, something has gone horribly awry. They're having a great day, though, it seems, if they're outside 68 and sunny in their mind who knows where they are physically but well but then I also start to think about that black is the black of the pupil is so matte Mm. it has this feel almost of like the the vanta black where it's like it becomes this this void inside of there and it, it feels almost like this black like portal has opened up like a black hole in the sky Mm. um i guess i'm just going to all the dark places on this one (laughs) i guess so and yet i really do actually like the piece i Mm. there's something i find interesting about the the combination of the images the and and i think it's the fact that it's a blue sky and some people have a blue iris so it's it's not like a super jarring combination yes or association like it from a distance feels natural exactly i'm thinking about if that painting was on the wall across your classroom we could interpret it if i take off my glasses as a regular eye yeah it would look like a regular eye that is just staring you down in a way that is not at all unsettling no not at all (laughs) not one bit 
But one other interesting fact, as I said, like this has been made a few times. It's also sort of popped up and been referenced in other places. And I think one of the really? one of the most famous places, and this kind of brings things full circle, Renee Magritte started off in advertisement, you know? Yes. This piece was the inspiration for the CBS television logo no that looks way. like a nine. <gasps> yes. In, oh my gosh. Yeah, in 1952, that logo was developed, and... Uh, That's fascinating. Yeah, William Golden, the, the artist who designed the CBS logo, um, said he was, to some extent, expired, inspired by Magritte's false mirror image. Gosh, art is everywhere. Art is everywhere, and I also feel like there is something just so profound and fitting about a television network having a logo inspired by the false mirror. Ooh, oh, yes. It just, it just, it works on so many levels. It totally does. Wow. Mm. My mind is blown right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, I guess to, to wrap it up, I'm wrapping it up, I want just a three-point rating scale. And where should this hang? The loo? Is this something to look at? The lab. the lab. Is this something to learn from? Or the loop? British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's the a poop loop. joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. Where does this piece belong? Can you remind me what the three categories Well, it's like, mean? is this one, is this one we love, we want to cherish for the ages? It, you know, it belongs prominently in the museum. Is this one, even if we don't like it, we learn from it? You know, like, you know how you've got some yeah. of those, like, eat your vegetable works of art that, like... <laughs> An enjoyable eat yeah. your vegetable. I would then in that case I would put it in the lab. Um, I think there is so much more to this piece with his life history, um, and I think the relatability is also a great medium to teach other artists about. Yeah, I I, I would agree. There's a lot to learn from, and my. My only sort of, I guess I'm, I'm going to yes and, I'm going to say it's the, the museum piece for me just because I feel like there's a lot to learn from and a lot to save for the ages because I also just think it's a beautiful piece. It's well executed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got just enough information there to give us the context to see it's an eye. It's surrounded by, you know, the skin. We see, like, the highlights. We see that, that modeling that's happening there. Um, and, it, like, it... it there's some aspect that's soothing and some aspect that's unsettling and it holds your attention. Yes. And I think captivates. I think that's that's an important piece for a museum. Like I want something that is going to grab my attention but also hold my attention and keep keep me thinking, keep me making different connections. And I think this piece holds um, art appreciators of all ages attention too. There's something for everyone in it based on when they look at it. Like we, yeah. you and I are going a little bit deeper, but a student in third grade could see this and under, say, I could do that. I'm inspired by that. I'm jumping from this idea to the other based on this. Yeah. And, and that's why clouds are like the perfect thing for this, because who doesn't yes. spend time looking at clouds and making those free associations? And mm -hmm. that's kind of what surrealism was all about. And that's why this piece so well 
sort of represents that movement in my mind. Maybe Apple took this for the cloud logo. I'm just saying maybe, maybe. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> ripping off Magritte. That's, yes. that's what we're doing. Oh, boy. Um, but I appreciate that you took the time to help me talk about and find ways to rip off Magritte myself. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. This is always so fun. Thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.